This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. I'm Poonam Verma. I was joined today by the shark himself, entrepreneur and millionaire Damon John, sharing his tips on how to be a budding entrepreneur and the highs and lows as well. You can also find out how to heal that heartbreak of yours. And entrepreneur Mo Morris is talking about some top tips when it comes to starting a business in fashion and makeup and beauty. And if you want some travel tips... Wonder with Nada is in the house. She's got the latest. We're also going to be sharing a little trip that we're doing together. And we have our lawyer in the studio answering all your legal questions. Make sure you tune in to Afternoons with Helen Farmer every weekday from 2pm. If you are a budding entrepreneur or you're just a very big fan of the show Shark Tank, you're in for a treat. My next guest is not just a very successful businessman. He's also one of the sharks on the show. Please welcome the founder of FUBU, which stands for For Us, By Us. Damon John is in the house. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Very uh, warm welcome to the UAE. What are you doing here? Well, I'm out here in Sharjah and I'm speaking at the investment forum and uh, having a good time meeting a lot of investors, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of good people. You're giving them tips and tricks from your own journey. I am. I am definitely giving them as much as I can share with them. They're going to have to use it and apply it in their own way. Now, I hope you don't mind, but I just want to give some of the listeners out there who don't know a lot about your background a bit of playback of your life for the past 40 years, if I can do it in 40 seconds, if that's possible. So they just have an idea of what kind of man you are, the journey that you've lived and why I'm sitting with you today, excited to talk to you, if you don't mind. Shall I go? Sure. Okay. Yeah, please. Um, I want to hear this. (laughs) I know I'm going to make some mistakes. Okay. So Damon John had to step up at an early age and take care of his mom, get a job and just become the man of the house. And he grew up in Queens in New York. Now, he started printing T-shirts, that's right, and then he started making the tie-top hats. And if I'm correct, you then went around music video sets trying to get hip-hop artists to wear them. And eventually, uh, if you look at some of the videos, you'll see Buster Rhymes, LL Cool J, they've all been wearing them. He then turned his whole house into a factory with his friends and started uh, sewing these hats. He got turned down by 27 banks for a loan. You see, I'm doing my research here. Uh, but with his mom's support, who's also his mentor, she had a lot of belief in him and said, you've got to keep going. And he kept going. Today, according to my trusted assistant, Google Damon, which I'm sure is completely wrong, you have a net worth of $350 million. He's a doting father of three girls and he's here in the UAE. Damon, I know I missed a lot, but how was that 40 seconds roundup of your life? Oh uh, yeah, it was generally good. Um, uh, the net worth—I'm not sure where. Yeah, that's we, we won't today. talk. We won't talk about that. That was just you know, Google. I, yeah, I I'd rather say that I'm I'm worth uh, zero. So <laughs> anybody wants to buy something from me, I have something to sell. So you know, when you look at entrepreneurship today, um, especially with the use of technology and social media, you know, we can all promote our brands now online as well as ourselves as individuals. Do you think it's a lot easier or more challenging for businesses to not only? Um, be successful, but maintain longevity because there's so much competition now. Um, I do think it's easier. Um, uh, I do say that some of the fundamentals are still there. That is, you're right; uh, everybody can do it. But I see more businesses flourishing um, mm. off of uh, due to social media because traditional businesses, whereas like you have a you have a store, 
you either make enough to 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 cover the cost yeah. or not, right? And you're out of business or not. You can actually still work and have a decently sized business and fluctuate and go up and down. Uh, and a lot of it back then was word of mouth. Out. It was word of mouth, wasn't yeah. it? Your community and everything. Yeah. And you know, like I said today, you can you can open up your phone and hit the hit the entire world. Yeah. You know, you know how many flyers can you put out? You know, if you print them back, you know, thirty years ago, and there was no internet or social media. Yeah. You know, um, my father was a very successful entrepreneur, but he kept his business very small. He always wanted to have that very good relationship with clients and his staff. So he kept it very minimal and he did very well. And he still had that balance with family and work life, which took him time, obviously, at the beginning, get it up and running. It took many hours of work. Now, I definitely got the relationship DNA from him, the gene, because I'm very good at making friends. But I did not get that entrepreneurship gene from him it just doesn't excite me do you think not everyone is built to be an entrepreneur because there's a great thing you said you said all successful people are selfish in a good way so do you think I'm not a good entrepreneur because I'm not selfish and you are in a good way you know I think you're just not thinking that you're an entrepreneur you know um I have created my own actually online kind of uh, tv show so I suppose yeah I am an entrepreneur. Well, entrepreneurial thinking, I always say, is executed perfectly by by mothers because you you're nothing against the dads, but you bring a you bring a life into the world, and yeah. I don't care what book you you read about it. It's not going to show you what to do every single step of the way, and you figure it out. And I think that that is what entrepreneurial thinking is. And so you're saying you're not, but I'm sure you're an entrepreneurial thinker. Yeah. Um. It's just are you are you conscious of those decisions? I think you're right. I think I I do have that. It's just about how do you make money. Money from that idea. Right. That is, How do you structure it? That's what makes you the entrepreneur. Do you find there's a difference in approach when it comes to female entrepreneurs and male ones, especially when you're they're pitching to you at Shark Tank? I do not. Um, I find that I find that uh, female entrepreneurs tend to be a little more effective because they tend to understand. Uh, they communicate a lot more, and they they tend to be able to put a little bit more of an ego aside that the males often have totally. um, but the fundamentals of it is still the fundamentals so you got turned down uh 27 times for a loan for your business back in the day people get turned down all the time by investors where do you think a lot of budding entrepreneurs are going wrong when they're pitching to an investor i think they're going wrong by not being in attendance of places like this of investment forums because mm-hmm. i didn't know what i didn't know Right. And um, I may have been intimidated by not coming to something like this or walking into a bank because I thought maybe a bank is a place that I didn't belong because I didn't have money. Not realizing the banker just heard the same exact problems I had 10 times that day and could have probably solved a lot of those problems to make my uh, my barrier to entry much easier. Um, but, you know, entrepreneurs are often they think that they're supposed to do this by themselves. And it's a team sport. It's not something you do by yourself. Mm. We interview a lot of entrepreneurs on this show who have complete burnout and breakdowns, whether it's the universe telling them to wake up and you need to shift something. Now, six years ago, um, you had stage two cancer. Thank God everything is good now when you're healthy. How did that um, affect and change your priorities and your mindset when it came to life, personal life, family and business? The top question I'm asked is a work-life balance and there's no work-life balance. There's work-life harmony, right? You either uh-huh. you have a great job and a lot of work going on and no life at home or, you know, with your family every day and no money. 
Um, <laughs> I think that, again, it goes back to knowing your why. I think your father was brilliant about something. He understood that maybe he didn't want to grow the business that big. You know, no. I, when I had the, my most employees, I realized that I had an open door policy and I was somewhat of a shrink because so many people came to me. And I realized even now in my career, I don't want five and 10 and 20,000 people working for me. So it's a conscious decision because even if I did get to the level of Mark Cuban yeah. or billions of dollars, well, how many beds I'm going to sleep in? How many, how many cars do I want? I don't want that many. Right. Uh, a lot of times people are doing things for the wrong reason. I want a small amount of people working for me. I have an intimate relationship with, but more mm. importantly, I can take time with my family. So it's reevaluating where you want to be in life. And you may have to do that every month, mm. every quarter, every year but you have to reevaluate it because life changes and things happen yeah and it was funny because my dad would always say you know i just want to make sure till the day i die i work every day i'm healthy every day i don't care about being a millionaire he still did exceptionally well but that was his motto you know he kept it in that there was no like i need to do this i need to do this and it's interesting because i interviewed stephen bartlett just recently he was here in Sharjah as well and i said to him you know at such a young age you've done so well do you still have any insecurities? And he said he still feels like he's trying to prove himself and that insecurities is what drives us all. I wasn't quite sure if I agreed with that. What do you think about that? It's not up to me to judge what uh, somebody's past has been, what have gotten them to this point. Whatever motivates them is what motivates them. A lot of people are motivated out of fear. And mm. often that's, you know, that's, that's to some extent can be, can be toxic to you. Um, I don't believe that insecurities is something I don't have an insecurity in that sense. But, you know, I have made sure I made it. I made it very clear who I am. I'm somebody who I don't read that well because I'm dyslexic. I'm short. I'm really, 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 really good looking. That's an insecurity. (laughs) I get it because I make everybody else insecure. See how confident confident you are. I love that. (laughs) You know, but here's the beautiful part. I walk into a room. Nobody will ever say the guy's cock is because I'll say, I know this, but I don't know this. And I would love to have you advise me on that. It makes other people feel good. So if you start off lying about who you are, then you're always going to have to follow through with that lie. But, you know, I think that confidence comes with um, maturity because Stephen's probably 29, 30. We're older. I feel like you do. It's not much to prove anymore. And you just just kind of get comfortable with who you are as a person and accept more accepting. Exactly. You know, at 29, I had had a lot of... I wouldn't call it insecurity. I would I would call it a healthy paranoia. You know, when Fubu when Fubu was starting to go down, I said to myself, oh, "Everybody's going to think I hit the lotto or got struck yeah. by lightning." You know, I got to reinvent myself. I got to do this and that, and that did drive me. But it didn't drive me as an insecurity. It drove me more as a I can do it again if I've gotten this far already. Mm. But yeah, of course, I definitely have had insecurities in the past. Um, today I'm I'm extremely comfortable. But yeah, I mean that was twenty. 20- 25 years ago or 24 years yeah. ago. Yeah. If only we knew back then what we know now. Oh, God. Yeah, you... exactly. So, and thank God social media wasn't out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we wouldn't be where we are. There'd be so many dodgy dodgy pictures of us doing stuff out there. Yeah. Um, just finally, before I let you go, because I know you're busy, do you have a mantra or an affirmation that you live by every day or something that you say to yourself? To keep you positive. Yeah, there's so many of them. There's anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Yeah. Money is a great slave, but a horrible master. Anything created in this world started with one person, one idea that took one action. There's a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and, and God is good. God is good. Well, Damon, thank you so much. You were definitely worth the wait. <laughs>
Mm, well, thank um, you. <laughs> no, I was waiting for you for a while, but I'm so glad to have uh, spoken to you. Sorry I couldn't be there in person with you, but thank you so much for coming on the show, and I wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate you, and thank you for waving the flag on for entrepreneurship. I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, unfortunately, being human with a heart, we're all eventually going to have some sort of heartbreak, be it from a relationship that didn't work out through grief, loss of a job, loss of a pet, even children feel it. Whatever it is, our heart will ache. But what exactly is a heartbreak and how does it affect us? Well, according to author Florence Williams, she investigated the ways in which extreme emotional pain can impact the heart after her own marriage collapsed after 25 years. She found out that falling in love actually stimulates the parts of the brain responsible for producing stress hormones as a way to prepare for heartbreak when a partner leaves. It's kind of like a fight and flight syndrome there going on. Now with me is a certified heartbreak coach, Constance Witzel. How are you? Hello, Poonam. Thank you so much for having me, especially when looking tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so it's all about love. I know, but we're being realistic here. You know what I mean? It comes and goes, doesn't it? If it stays, that's amazing. So um, how does someone, first of all, become a heartbreak coach? I've never met one. Well, due to my own heartbreak uh, at a very early young age when I was 16, um, due to actually my parents that separated, I developed depression and anxiety, and then I went on my own healing journey. Wow, at 16? Yeah, I mean, it started, and then I became a yoga teacher first. I was modeling back then, and then I started to do all different kind of healing techniques, doing training certifications to heal my own heart. And then I realized, well, this is not just me. This is actually affecting the whole world. And it's not about just the love heartbreak, but what you mentioned before as well, the heartbreak around grief, losing a job, just being human in this crazy world. So what kind of clients do you get coming to you? Like, is it to do with dating? Is it to do with grief? With everything. I work mainly with women at the moment, even though lately I have more men reaching out, realizing that to really heal, you need to feel So this is something I always say, dare to feel the grief, the pain, the sadness, because then you can really allow yourself to feel as well the pleasure and the joy of life again. So I work with all different kinds of um, humans. It's interesting when you talk about uh, men, because I find when women, let's say, go through a heartbreak, they do share a lot with their friends. You know, you see it in all the chick flicks, but that's what we're like. We're very communicative. Whereas men might think, okay, on to the next. Let's, Let's move on. Let's get on with work. Do they deal with things very differently and do they suppress it and does it come up much later in life? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, men are taught, oh, boys don't cry. This is where it starts in childhood. So that's why I create a really, really safe space for men to actually become vulnerable and express their emotions. Because there are humans like us women, just we've been brought up differently. So I think it's even more important that lately more and more men are reaching out to really heal yeah, their hearts, their bodies, their soul. And there's a movement happening, you know, more men are actually wanting to become vulnerable and realizing, hey, this is actually this one life that I have. And if I don't connect with myself, Mm. I'm never going to find the joy and the love that I'm looking on the outside. But do you think, I mean, as human beings, as we grow older, we will lose the people we love. We lose a lot of things. We lose our health. We lose our age. I mean, that heartache is a natural thing. I mean, does it 
can you ever truly heal it or do you just learn to cope with the next thing and let go of the last thing? Uh, for me personally, I would say healing from heartbreak is kind of like opening up the heart so wide that you can just allow any emotion that wants to move through, move through. So I, would, I wouldn't really say it's ever going to stop. It's going to be one day where you're like, okay, I'm never going to experience heartbreak again. But yeah, what you mentioned, like you can cope better with it. And it's kind of like this big opening of your heart that's going to embrace all of it. Mm. There's a fear, though, as well, associated with heartbreak. Like, let's say if you've trusted somebody, you've been in a relationship or something, or you're scared to let another person in. I mean, how do you overcome that? Because I've, I meet people, I've been in that situation where they say, oh, my heart chakra is blocked, and you think you've let somebody in, and you're not really. You've got this wall up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, building a wall is just a natural mechanism of us humans, I would say, to protect our hearts. But then we're never going to be able to have a beautiful connection again with another human being. So I would say in the beginning, it's very important to be a little bit more protective, to focus on Mm self-care and a lot of self-love practices. But then at a later stage, especially when I speak with clients that have been single for a very long time, I really tend to encourage them to be like, hey, if you want connection, there's no other way. You have to let your guard down. Yeah, and if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. What can you do, you know? Okay, do you find that our expectations in today's dating world is much higher than before? Do you think people just aren't as willing to make relationships work? And because there are so many choices now, you look online as well, they think, oh, forget this. This is getting hard work. Swipe right for the next date. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. I would say we are like a fast food culture. We think one thing doesn't work. Okay, let's go on to the next one. But, you know, you carry everything with yourself wherever you go. I know. It's like, you know, they say the older you get, you need to um, unpackage that load, that baggage. Because that's why you get bitter the older you get, I find as well. Exactly. And if you have not felt the grief from your last relationships, you'll just carry it along. And then you're going to project it on another partner. So... I know. And I've just had a text. We're talking about grief of a pet. Jofa says, do you have any tips on how to heal a broken heart after giving up a pet? I've had another friend who gave up a pet last uh, last week and she said she would never go through that again. Oh, yeah, that's a very tender feeling. I have a dog myself and just thinking about the day he might pass. I would suggest building an altar even if that might sound I mean, I think spiritual. I think he's given up the pet, as in it hasn't died. He's had to give it up to somebody. Oh, give it up to somebody. Yeah, so I don't yeah. know. I mean, I but there's also that thing that you, you've given up that pet. It's like giving up a child to say, I hope he's taken mm. care of, you know? Yeah. Well, then I would say it's just like knowing that if your love is so strong, yeah. love can travel through time and space. And sometimes we have to give up a pet because we know we might have to move to a new country and it will be better for the pet to be in a different environment. And just to see, okay, my pet is doing really well and really fine. And this can even grow your love and be like, okay, sometimes love is to let go. Okay. Oh, that's deep. (laughs) This is getting very chick flick now, Constance. Okay. If you want to ask her a question, if you're going through a breakup or you want to know how to heal that heart of yours, if you've got a great story, do text us on 4001. So we're talking to a heartbreak coach, Constanza, about the heart, 
how to heal the heart, why the pain actually comes from the heart. And it's it's interesting about we're talking um, off air about triggers where something could have happened years ago and then I feel the pain here. And when I think about certain things, I actually feel a physical pain in my chest. So there is something connected there with the brain. And I found a great clip. Excuse the music in the background. It sounds a bit like a thriller theme, but I couldn't find it without. But I really liked uh, Greg Braden showing how the heart and the brain is connected. He basically is known as a pioneer in bridging science and ancient wisdom. And in this clip, he explains why we experience actual heartbreak. This is rock-solid, peer-reviewed science. There are about 40,000 specialized cells located in each human heart. These specialized cells, they're called sensory neurites. They are essentially brain-like cells They're not in the cranial brain, they're in the heart. These cells in our heart think independently of the human brain. They remember, they feel, and they sense independently of the human brain. When we have an experience and we record that experience in our memory, we traditionally think of that memory as being in the brain. And if it's a good memory, there is no problem, but many of us have trauma. So understanding that our heart is holding information, memories, as well as the brain. When we go to someone, uh, a therapist, for example, to help us work through the hurts of the past, if we do it only by talking about what's in our brain, it helps. But often we feel like it's incomplete. Now we know the reason why, because we only address some of the information. What about the information that lives in our hearts? So, Constanza, that explanation right there showed me that Let's say we had a heartbreak 10 years ago and we thought we were over it. Then we have a new relationship and maybe it isn't as intense as that one. But when that doesn't work out, the heartache feeling is back. So I'm assuming from Greg Braden's explanation, it's triggered unresolved pain in the cells of the heart, which have a memory that were never healed. Exactly. All our emotions are stored in the DNA. And I love that clip of Greg because it actually explains everything that any trauma that we've experienced, only when we really feel it, we can actually heal it. By just thinking about it cognitively or speaking with friends about it, Mm. it's not going to help us heal. So when we come into a new relationship, I imagine it, or when I speak to my clients, I explain it to them like little old pockets of trauma, of grief that we carry in our body. And then a new partner comes and activates these old pain points. And sometimes we can even say, hey, wow, what a blessing, because after this next heartbreak, if I really allow myself to look within, I can heal so much. I can heal my past. I can heal my present and then attract something that really fulfills my heart in the future. So I have a little bit of an issue with this thing. They say love yourself first and that's what you will attract. I don't completely agree with this. Um, Generally, I've been a fairly positive person. I enjoy my own company, have great social life, very confident in most areas of my life. But that doesn't mean I've always attracted the right people who've had the same values or even been very kind. Um, and my only fault, though, is that I don't think I've always created boundaries from day one how to be treated. I kind of think, oh, people think the same as me. They'll... That's where I've gone wrong. <laughs> so how, how, how can healthy boundaries from day one help prevent a heartbreak? Well, first of all, if you can really communicate your boundaries and your needs very well, you already know, okay, hey, this is me. This is what I need. This is what I want. And then the other person, if they're honest, of course, that's what we hope for. They could communicate their own needs and boundaries. And then we can already, after the second date, kind of be like, okay, hey, 
it was nice to meet you, but this is not going to yeah. work because I want children, you don't want children or whatever, you know. So, so it's about, about being really sure about you want what you want and not yes. being afraid of saying it because sometimes it can scare people if you say it straight away. Oh, yeah, that's so true. But it's always the way you communicate it. You can be like, hey, listen, this, sure. these are my desires. Mm. Doesn't mean that we have to get married next year, yeah. but I do want to get married in the future. And then if someone says, hey, well, no, marriage is not for me, you can be like, okay, thank you. Maybe we can be friends or, you know. Okay, so... Um, this this is something I talk about all the time, the difference between self-love and narcissism. So I, I'm so sorry if I apologize to anyone out there who I'm going to offend who are like, just take pictures of themselves all the time on Instagram. But I have a big issue when people post pictures of themselves every single day of themselves, which has no caption of information, anything interesting to add to the world at all. It literally is just pictures of them posing. I don't understand the mentality of somebody like that. Is it insecurity? Is that self-love and confidence? Or is it narcissism? Please tell me. Well, <laughs> you're, you're nodding your head. Yeah, well, that's definitely usually a sign of low self-worth because we look for approval in the outside world, usually through technical devices, social media. Self-love is a balanced, healthy awareness of self. Narcissism is an excessive self-love and even trying to put ourselves out there and kind of get the approval and be like almost like a junkie you know yeah a junkie for approval so yeah even when it comes to dating guys like guys and girls I'm always very careful when people are too much on Instagram and too much on their phones uh, this could be a red flag oh it's a big red flag <laughs> for me and I'm sorry if I've offended anyone but I meant to <laughs> no I've just been quite blunt I mean you you said something actually to me as well. You said sometimes we're attracting the people to help us face those triggers. I, I like that. Explain that to me. Yeah, I can actually share a really personal story. The heartbreak that I've experienced when I was 16 due to the separation of my parents. Back then, I didn't have the capacity to hold that pain. So I kind of stuffed it somewhere in my body and forgot about it. Mm. But then another man, 10, 15 years later he triggered that trauma. And that was so, so painful and healing and a breakthrough at the same time. So that breakup 15 years later really got me in touch with all these old buried emotions about my dad leaving us. Oh, wow. What are some of the common mistakes people make after a breakup and divorce? Because we do also hear like, just get back out there, you'll be fine. Like how much time do you need to heal? Like how does it work? Well, first of all, it's different for everyone, mm. but sacred grief. I'm even going to start a circle where I invite people to come to grief together in community. Mm. So being with other people that yeah, are loving, that take care of you, good friends, grieving and really allowing yourself to feel the emotions. Then nurture yourself with some self-love rituals, move your body, maybe do yoga, go to the beach, connect with nature. And please stop stalking your ex on social media. <laughs> That's the worst you can do because he or she is only going to post happy pictures. So you're going to think, oh, they're already over me. Nah. You know, so that's yeah. like... The biggest God. tip. Do you know what? Back in the day, it was so nice. If you broke up with someone, you never had to see what they were doing. I, uh, Anyway, modern technology, good and bad. Um, finally, any dating tips for finding the right match? Because it is Valentine's, Valentine's Day tomorrow. Some people want to get back out there. Well, we can come back to needs and boundaries. First of all, become really, really clear. What do you want? 
and yeah, what? how should your future look like? Maybe mm. even make a little journaling session where you imagine, okay, this is what I really want. This is the kind of partner I want to attract. And then when you go dating, have fun. Have a normal chat, like you're going to meet this person. Don't immediately think, oh, this is going to be the one. Yeah. You know, and kind of take it a little bit more relaxed, but be sure to state your boundaries and desires. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, actually. I think especially with women, they're like, this is the one. Well, I'm sure men do as well, but you have to be careful and uh, set your boundaries. I'm still learning to do that. I need to get some tips of you on that. <laughs> my boundaries can be really harsh. It can be really loving and giving. And then you don't even exist in my life. So I need to find that balance. <laughs> anyway, Constance, how can people uh, find you online or contact you if they want to come and see you and chat? Well, I'm actually very active on Instagram due to my business reasons. So, uh, yeah, Constanze Witzel on Instagram. My website is currently only in German, but I'm just um, um, working on a second version in English. But, yeah, you can just contact me via my Instagram, Constanze Witzel, or even via mail, Witzel at gmail.com. Okay, well, we'll have to have you back on. I'm sure we have more heartbreak conversations to have with Helen as well when she's back. Thank you so, so much. Now, the title CEO sounds so fancy and powerful, but we also forget the struggles so many business owners go through that actually make them feel powerless at times. And that's what happened to our next guest. Maura Morris, also known as Mo, is the CEO of Morris Global Consulting. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Panam. Lovely to be here. I know we met a few years ago. And, and yes. You, and I was like, I remember you. <laughs> she's such a fashionista. You can tell she's in fashion and beauty, <laughs> like her earrings and her clothes. So tell everybody, what does Morris Global Consulting actually do? So Morris Global Consulting, we are a um, consulting agency, consulting and education agency, really, for uh, fashion, beauty, lifestyle and home interiors, all of that. And what we do is we help people to start up, to scale up or to expand internationally. That's ultimately what we do as a business. The whole ethos around the business is that we are trying to, if you are a startup, we're trying to educate you and empower you to be able to take over that business correctly. And we set every, all the development in stage for them. And then they are able to take it on themselves with the proper foundations, because that's something that's missing with a lot of people. They kind of go straight to let's get the product out or let's do, you know, let's get it on Instagram. And they're missing all of the fundamentals of the structure of how a business actually should run. So our ethos really is that you don't have to go to five or six different agencies. We do everything from design, sourcing, global production for all types of products like footwear, beauty products, fashion products, kids wear, home interiors, everything. And we also do your branding, your marketing, your um, digital uh, strategies, your websites, your social media plans, anything you need. And we have options for all sorts of different uh, budgets and things like that. Um, so that's ultimately what we do in a nutshell. I started this business in Ireland yeah. and I um, expanded the business about five years ago to Dubai. I had been coming over and back a couple of years before that. And then I thought, uh, why am I in rainy Ireland when I could be in sunny Dublin and I can run my business from did there? You, did you just say sunny Dublin? So, sunny Dubai. Say, when is Dublin sunny? <laughs> <laughs> about three days uh, yeah. a year. Three days a year. Um, OK, let's talk about like fashion, <clears throat> beauty brands, lifestyle. I yeah. mean... 
there is so much competition, right? There is. Where, let's say I had an idea or any young person out there, whatever age you are actually, and say, look, I, w- I want to start a beauty brand or I want to start my I design clothes. I want to start a fashion yeah. brand. Where do I begin? Because how do you stand out with all this competition? You come to Morris Global Consulting first <laughs> and we will tell you where the niches are. But I'm all jokes aside. Um, I think really what is missing with people, you have to look at what the market is looking for. What's missing in the market? And believe me, there are still things that are missing in the market. So what I would say is one of the most important things is don't be a copycat. Just because you see some other brand doing something like uh, that have become very successful doing a specific type of product or they've become very successful in the region here or globally or whatever it is. Mm. Don't just say, okay, I want to do a brand like that. You have to bring something unique with your own purpose, with something different because why why would they buy off you as a small brand when they can already get it off a brand that has massive brand awareness, big budgets for marketing, and that's what they're seeing. Mm. So they're not searching for the same product from somebody else and you possibly cannot make it as cheaply as maybe... The the multi-brands can, let's say, for example. So you have to look at, okay, what's missing? If somebody wants to do an Abaya brand, if somebody wants to do footwear, don't copy what's already out there. Put your own stamp on it and be individual. That's what all of the great designers have done over the years. Look at Alexandra McQueen. Look at all of these amazing designers. They came up with something unique and different. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you're starting and you're doing the markets, the local markets or whatever it is. But what are the, what are the consumers interested in right now? But it's the consumers that you're aiming for because we, now we have social media. It can be worldwide consumers. Do yeah. you focus on your community, your country, or do you think worldwide? It depends really, honestly, on your budget. So uh. you start, obviously, trying to get an MVP, probably in your local country, if that is the case. But for example, if you're in a smaller uh, region, if you are in Ireland and it is too small for your particular type of product, Mm. I would say, like, let's say if you have a high, high end luxury uh, product in a small country, then you need to look at where people are buying this. Where are there enough people that are buying this product? So it might not necessarily be in your own region. It could be somewhere else. Like we do a lot of work in Saudi and Qatar and Kuwait and obviously the UAE as well. And I still see things that are missing for the modest market, for example, for, you know, even at leisure wear as as saturated as that, that market the is yoga, at the, the moment. The yoga pants. <laughs> exactly. There are still other things that are missing. And I think textiles and like looking at like the weather we live in and things like that is really important as well. Like obviously the buzzword is sustainability at the moment, but you know, there are certain fabrics that are recycled, which are not sustainable. They're just recycled, you know, and if they are recycled correctly, they can be sustainable. But are you asking those questions? Are you asking the suppliers those questions? Are you asking your consultants those questions? Okay, are they certified? Are they this? Are they that? You know, so it's really important to watch the market. And just because you think you have a great idea does not mean that 
25 other people do not have the same idea. And it's about how you work it and how you execute it and how you market it. And it's the development. It's like I always say to clients when they're starting, it's like building a house, guys. If you do not have the foundations and the structure, as boring as that part is, your house is going to fall down. Mo, I actually randomly came up with an idea for... (laughs) this. I know this is weird. It actually (laughs) popped in my head two days ago. I just remembered about a clothing brand. I'm going to talk to you about it. Not not on the show, but afterwards, because I don't want to be embarrassed. Just like, oh, someone's come up with that. If you want to ask her any questions, Mo is with us for another 10 minutes. Text us on 4001. It is exhausting listening to what you just said to me, let alone actually being an entrepreneur. And I want to talk about burnout and exhaustion because... So many people struggle with it and it really affected you because you had panic attacks. Tell me a little bit about that story. Okay, sure. Um, So I have been an entrepreneur for 20 years, basically. I have also worked with other companies and stuff like that in between, but I've always been doing uh, businesses as well throughout that. I started my first business at 20, full of ideas, full of, you know, energy and everything that comes with it. Um, And... Honestly, I'm a very kind of strong person. I would consider myself like, you know, I can take a high level of stress. Mm. I, you know, you need to be able to 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 do that and be able to have that ability if you're running companies and things like that. And for me, it was actually uh, a year after COVID started. And I suddenly, I I knew I was exhausted. I knew I was wrecked. I knew I was run down. But I just didn't know enough about it, I think, really, because I was always very, I've got a very strong work ethic. I've, you know, I've always been like, just, okay, just push through, just push through, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Totally. And And if it's your own business, only you can keep doing it. Exactly. And like, honestly, there are people relying on you. You need to bring money in to market the company. You need to be doing all of that and paying your team and all of those things, those pressures. So about a year after COVID... And if I'm being honest, probably about eight months after it started, it was crisis management, obviously, for businesses like mine. From the second it happened, there was cancelled contracts and stuff like, you know, it was always, it's always going to be consultants, marketing, immediate things that get cut from budgets, right? Uh, Things that are not hugely necessary, if you want to put it that way, in life. Um, So... For us, it was really, okay. we need to pivot stuff. We need to. And luckily for us, we do a lot of education with incubators, government bodies all over the world. We do a lot of education in these sectors also to prepare people for what entrepreneurship actually truly is. So uh, for me personally, a year after that, um, what happened was I started getting panic attacks, which I did not know what they were. It One happened on a Sunday evening. I was like feeling really unwell. I had meetings all the following day. And then I said to May, my lovely EPA, and I said, is there any chance you could move everything on Tuesday? I'm really not feeling well. Was it your first panic attack? First. And I didn't know what it was even that Sunday evening. And then on Tuesday, I took the day off, or so I thought. And uh, then something happened in the morning with work. I had to deal with that. And then I said, OK, I can take the afternoon off. It's OK. No big deal. Went off and tried to distract myself doing something else, get out of work mode. And I ended up having basically what was a nine hour panic attack 
that day. Nine hours? Nine hours. Okay, what was going on in three so your body? So I was like, am I having a heart attack? Am I, what is going on? Called all the doctors. They were like, we, it was in the middle of COVID. We can't see you in the hospital because it's not a code red. It's this, it's that. And it went on for about maybe six hours until oh. it was getting so bad. I was just sobbing yeah. and I couldn't you think you're breathe. Dying. You think you're dying, don't you? you? And I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. I was just like, what is happening to me? And I, we called the ambulance because we had no choice. They couldn't really do much because of... COVID and it was like code red situation at that stage was all they could bring in. They couldn't give you medication, obviously. So they were like, you need to call a doctor first thing in the morning. Like eventually it started to kind of ease off. But ultimately that night I spent either throwing up, sobbing, not breathing. And I pretty much spent half of that night on the bathroom floor. So how um, how did that shift and change? How did you manage that? I honestly... I went to the doctor the following day and I have a wonderful doctor who I still go to. And he told me, I still, I think, didn't really understand what was happening because he said to me, what happened to you is the equivalent of having a heart attack and you need to take eight weeks off work. Eight weeks. To stay in bed. And saying that to an entrepreneur, and I have other businesses also, so it's not just one business. I'm like saying that to, I actually started laughing at him. And I was like, "It's that's just never going to be possible." I mean, trying to get a week off as an entrepreneur is is nearly impossible, yeah, yeah. you know, or being able to completely switch off is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, "You have to take this seriously." They obviously gave me medication, gave me kind of ten days of medication. He said, "This is not going to go away unless you make massive changes in your life." And if I'm being honest, I went home, rested up for the 10 days and he was so right. I was not able to function for about a good five weeks, wow. which is in my life about five years. But but it's that thing, isn't it? You don't take care of your health. It doesn't matter about your business. It's it, going to go down the that's drain. That's exactly it. And I from then on, I just did everything that they he told me to do. And I changed my works. I was like, you are nearly 40 now. You cannot work the same way you were working when you were in your 20s and 30s. You have to cop on, basically, and understand this. So actually, I started reading up an awful lot more on it, on meditation, on different things. And everybody has to find their own version of it it's maybe exercise it's yeah you know but we're running out of time but I want you to briefly if there's any entrepreneurs out there who are starting on that ladder and feeling the stress what can they do to nip this in the bud and create a good habit at the beginning because the beginning the first two three years is the hardest it is and like I would say firstly I think entrepreneurship has been kind of glorified a lot and I think you need to be yeah you have to be really realistic and understand, do I want to do this? You will have to make massive sacrifices. It's not just your social life. It could be family. It could be friends. It could be whatever. Mm. And I think one of the most important things is you have to make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. You know, make sure your idea is good, that you've you've, you've gotten proper professional kind of advice on it. And you have to give every ounce of your being for the first probably three to five years, realistically, not you know, excluding the cost and the resources and all of that that goes into it. Um, But I also think, you know, if you're talking about balance in life as an entrepreneur, I think that myth needs to be bust as well. Mm. It just does not exist. Balance is different for everyone. For me, 
I now take, if I have a client meeting cancelled, I will go for a walk. If I have, a, whereas before I would just fill it with yeah. something else. There's, now there's, I will take the time. There's always something we can there be is. doing. And like you, and now I shut my laptop yeah. at half six yeah. or seven or whatever. Yeah. And now I take my weekends. Now at the start, this was really difficult going from seven days a week to whatever. But for people who are getting into this, I would just say, listen to people who are entrepreneurs because they have been there and done it and don't think it's a joke what they are saying. No. Because it is, uh, entrepreneurship is rough. And the highs are high, the lows are really low. And when those lows come, do not go down that rabbit hole. That's my saying. I just say, don't go in the rabbit hole, guys, because you you have enough to do to try to keep yourself up on yeah. those days that you don't have the energy. So it's really, really important. Take the rest when you can. If you just happen to have a quick hour, you know, have a nap if that's your thing yeah. or read a book or whatever it is. They're rare, but there are snippets it's of the day. snippets and pockets at the yes, time. Yes, exactly. So, Mo Morris, how can people contact you if they want to on social media or your website? Yeah, drop us a message on Morris Global Consulting um, uh, or email us at info at Morris Global Consulting um, or I am uh, personally on Instagram under Mo underscore Derrymore. D-E-R-R-Y-M-O-R-E. Thank you. Which is my home place. Thank you so much and I'm glad you're in a better place now. Thank, Thank you. you. Now if you want some top tips about where to go around town, my travel buddy, my new travel buddy is in the studio. Wonder with Nadra is here. How are you my love? I'm wonderful. How are you? You're always wondering and wonderful. We're <laughs> going on a little trip soon for the first time ever. I think she's dreading it because she doesn't know what I'm like as a travel Oh, buddy. I was about to say the same thing. You are so going to feel sorry you agreed to this. I am the most curious, most eager to learn traveller. So I apologise in advance. Okay, let's just start with this. Tell everybody where we're going to go for the first time together. Oh my. We're going to Oman. And where are we going to stay? So we're going to the Anantara Jabal al-Akhbar. And we're driving in a car for several hours together. <laughs> and I'm really particular with music, so I don't know what's going to happen in this car. We may have to potentially take a flight <laughs> instead. That's the only way to solve that problem. So um, doing a little bit of research, the reason I wanted to go there is because I really just wanted a change of scenery. I haven't actually been anywhere apart from Birmingham <laughs> since COVID. Um, and I just wanted to be in nature and tell everyone a little bit about this hotel where it's situated. Yeah, so you and I are going off our cell phones in a couple of weeks yes. and taking our first ever trip together to Oman. And uh, we're going to be staying at the Anantar Jabal al-Akhdar. And this has been a dream bucket list uh, trip for me and I'm so happy to soon check it off the list. Jabal al-Akhdar is actually the mountain that we're going to translates to Green Mountain. Mm. And it is part of the Al-Hajar mountain chain. And it stands out because of its color. Now, this mountain range is actually spit by the spectacular canyon and that's the view of the area that we're going to be staying in and I've been told it's actually quite cold out there right now especially up in the mountains I've got my layers and my polar necks and I actually have a woolly hat Oh, I, I bought one a month ago. Yeah, I'm prepared. Oh, this is for this trip. <laughs> I am glad. I have not gotten around to that yet, but uh, we are still trying to figure out the activities we're going to do. I would love to see the country markets and actually learn about the incense that they grow there because that's what Oman is, the land of incense. Yeah, so on our pages, Instagram pages, you'll see Nada discovering the place and me just chilling, <laughs> doing yoga by the rocks. That's what's going to happen. Well, I look forward to it anyhow. And I mean, there are so many 
cool experiences that I've read about, including discovering this uh, traditional rosewater making. Mm. So we apparently meet with a village elder who's going to take us to a rose garden and then to his distillery where they make the rosewater, which is the age-old traditional way. Uh, I will also have us booked for either a sunrise or sunset yoga session. Definitely. I'm up for that. Yeah. I'm so up for that. Are it, you a I'm, morning person? No, but, but <laughs> if it's over the mountains, you can drag me from the bed, from my hair and take me because once I'm there, I'll be like... Nada, thank you for dragging me out yeah. of bed. It will so be that. It'll just be the first few minutes where I'll have to probably, you know, kick you or yeah. <laughs> get yeah. you out of bed yelling and screaming. But then afterwards, oh. we should... I think we should try both. We're there for three nights. Yeah. We'll do both. We can do both. There you go. Yeah. Let's do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to it. So if anyone has been and actually has got any tips of things to do or see, please do text in and share them with us. So I want to talk about um, a supper club. There's so many of them and they're growing. And you and me went to the same one separately. Mm. Um, you have been, actually. I have not been oh, yet. Have you not I been? am going soon. Okay, tell us about this one. So this is called the Koo Supper Club. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. You've been, yeah, Okay. So this is organized by Splidu, and I've been experimenting with these dining experiences lately, and have attended a couple of supper clubs in Dubai, which are like the new generation of tasting menus. Mm. Now it's for a limited audience of about eight to ten people, and it's about being part of a community of culture and food enthusiasts. So you actually develop friendships. I know it sounds cheesy, but you really get to make new friends and get to know people. It humanizes the dining experience where you get four or five courses around these communal tables. And this is really a sharp departure from the chandeliered opulence that is usually associated with high-end dining. So you can actually book these experiences via the Splidu app. You can choose the date and the chef or cuisine that you're interested in trying. And soon after, a location is disclosed that you arrive to hopefully hungry. Yeah, so we we turned up the dis, the obviously the location we didn't know until I think it was the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know what was on the menu, but of, obviously if we have any dietary requirements, we told them. And we turned up, and Chef Cove is oh my goodness, he is a man of energy. Um, he decorated every single thing on the table, which blew my mind. First of all, he also cooked, and he spent like five six minutes between each dish, telling us the history of it, and he did like a storyline uh, few. Using like India and Britain and London and the foods and and it was incredible the energy and the amount of passion that this man has, it was crazy. So it, it was very unusual. I was with a bunch of people I knew, but I have been to another one, uh, which was a Nigerian chef. He is works in finance during the week and does this at the weekends, and that's where I met new people and it was just really cool yep no it, it is and you know the thing is it's also by invite only uh, and the chef the chef actually changes his menu every month so if you have already been to one you have an almost entirely different experience the next time you visit mm. um, his supper club is apparently one of the very first in Dubai before others hopped on to this delicious same train mm. and I think he's up to his 146th menu and counting so he's certainly done it before oh yes he's done it before okay you'll recent stay at an eco resort this was another one we were going to go to but you obviously went without me (laughs) (laughs) i did i had to go do some uh research and i'm going to tell you all about it so if the idea of having hot chocolate around a campfire and sleeping under the stars appeals to you but 
pitching a tent does not, then this place is for you. Okay. Now, I went to Abu Dhabi to check out the Pura Eco Resort in El Jubail, which is surrounded by a gorgeous green mangrove park. And I remember Googling its location and thinking, wait, that's actually, you know, in, in the middle of the city. The Louvre Abu Dhabi was actually just a 20-minute drive away. Uh, so you first park your car and then get picked up by a buggy to go to this beautiful scenic um, hotel. And it's a drive that goes and takes you right by the mangroves. Mm. And once I reached, I checked in, was taken to my room, which was a state-of-the-art tent dome. I saw it on your page. Yeah, and with a better than just basic bathroom as well. Uh, They managed to capture the essence of camping in the wild, but with all the comforts of a five-star luxury hotel. Uh, There's a restaurant where you can actually go grab breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I had breakfast there and also chose to go to Marmelata for a late lunch. It's an awesome pizzeria that's out at the Mina. Uh, Everyone should go there. Uh, at the resort, there are activities that you can also do. So you can play board games, read books. They've got bicycles to cycle around the area. I signed up for a kayaking session and paddled in a maze of mangroves with birds just flying about and fish hanging around. We were led by a guide, and the guide actually gave us all the eco intel about the flora and fauna that surrounds the area. And at night, there's also a campfire that you can ask staff to light up. So I sat out in the cool, completely offline, aside from a few photos, and drank my hot chocolate, roasted some marshmallows, and then went to bed. It's basically nature on a silver plate, and I absolutely loved it. Nada has a really hard job, as you can all tell. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to do it. Yes, someone has got to do it. I've just got to listen to it. Um, Kachina Del Sol. Now, um, I know they've got... um, an event coming up this weekend. You're going to it. I was asked to go to it, but I, I, I'm just busy this weekend and I'm saving my energy to sit in a car with you for several hours. So what's that about? Because people can still join in, right? Yes. And I'm going to try and convince you to oh, join still. Now, I'm going out into the wild again, this time heading to the hills to Jabal Hafid in Al Ain, which is located on a UNESCO heritage site. I'm going to this event called Meats and Mountains, which is hosted by Cochina del Sol, which I'm so excited about. Uh, Before I tell you about all the food and activities we'll be having, um, I want to first point out that Pura also has a retreat there. And I would have loved to book that, but it's all been booked out. So Mm -hmm. the only alternative option I have was to bring my own tent to sleep. Oh, did you you do it up yourself? Um, So apparently tent technology has evolved considerably since I last You just press the button and it just inflates. Yes, there is a thing like that that exists. So this basically is an instant pop-up tent for easy camping. Who needs a man, eh? Oh, yeah. Pop-up tents all the way to go. (laughs) And all I do is unzip this carrying case and I throw the tent in the air and it's pretty much ready for use. So that's all sorted. Uh, the menu looks downright delicious. It is a mountainside feast. There's smashed burgers, there's tomahawk steaks, pastrami sandwiches, tacos, hot dogs, kunafa, and s'mores. The next day, there's a 7 a.m. hike, which I'm also keen to do, probably to work out all the tacos that I'll be having the night before. Amazing. Well, um, have I I convinced you? um, (laughs) It's I don't know yet. I'm thinking. Do you know how long I slept last night for? How long? I can't believe what happened. I slept for 12 hours straight. 
I don't know if it's because I'm tired or I'm old. I haven't figured that out yet. (laughs) I'm going to go with the first. You're just tired. So so when we get to Oman, I mean, you will literally have to drag me out. Okay. Setting the alarms as of now. Okay. Tell everyone where they can follow you in your great pictures. Wanderwithnada.com is the website and at Wanderwithnada on Instagram. Okay. If we survive Oman, she will be back in two weeks. (laughs) Joining me now is uh, is Shahab Mamdu, and he's going to pronounce he's going to pronounce the uh, the actual legal consultancy for me. How do we pronounce it? It's called uh, like it, in, if you're going to say it in German, it's Fichte and Co. Yeah, but you can say it in English, Fichte and Co. Fichte and Co. Yeah. Co and legal. Con- well, welcome. I haven't met you before. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me today. I'm very, very good. Now, we're going to start off just talking about anything new that's come in to the world of uh, legalities. And uh, there is a mandatory subscription, which I'm going to read this, but I don't actually understand it. This is why he's here. A mandatory subscription to the involuntary loss of employment scheme. Is this something that's recently come about? Yes, this is actually a new scheme. Uh, being implemented in Dubai or in the UAE, yeah. that all employees uh, for mainland companies are, in, are obliged to uh, subscribe for this insurance. This insurance basically covers uh, 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 the loss of their employment uh, contract or yeah. once they got terminated or lose their jobs for any reason. So they will be compensated for uh, three few months. months. Yeah, yes, three months. Do you get into trouble? If you don't subscribe to this, do you have to? Yes, it's a mandatory. It's a mandatory oh. scheme for uh, UAE citizens and, and expats working in the UAE. Interesting. Um, there's also an amortization law. Now, this, this happened several years ago, too, if I'm correct. Yes, but it's been uh, pressing on from the government lately. They mm-hmm. tried to push more UAE citizens and, and uh, young professions to join international companies to join other companies, not specifically to be working in government. So they're trying to impose that to give them the opportunity to gain various experience from other uh, uh, backgrounds, international backgrounds. And uh, it, it's actually, I think it's good. It's good. It's good scheme to be implemented in here as well. Is it because before <coughs> they were mainly applying for jobs within government organizations? Then? Mainly, yes. Mainly, yes, uh, a few of, of them would apply for international companies or uh, private sector companies or own even their own companies. And mm. uh, now it's more open to work in any industry in industry or, or any field. And so they are to pu- pu- trying to push it the government step by step mm. by putting the right candidates for uh, investors and companies coming in the UAE here to hire such young professions. Okay, so Shahab is here for at least 45 minutes to answer any of your legal questions. Tell everybody some of the main areas that you focus on. Well, I uh, I am a litigator, so mainly I specialized in, in uh, disputes, uh, resolution. Uh, my main area of, in, of practice is basically maritime, which is our uh, uh, speciality as a law firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, as a litigator and coming from a civil background, we, we are trained and, and used to do uh, various areas of practice, such as civil, commercial, real estate, uh, employment, criminal, family matters. But um, uh, the good thing now is we try to be more specialized. So I focus more into employment, maritime, 
uh, from time to time for uh, long-standing clients with us. We can do like maybe property disputes for them mm-hmm. if needed. So yes, this is actually my uh, main area of practice. Okay, now we've had a good question, which is a question that I asked somebody actually as well. Uh, it's regarding the um, subscription to the loss of employment scheme. Yeah. Um, there's no name on this. If you are not in mainland, i.e. working in JAFSA, can you still take the involuntary job loss insurance? Uh, I believe it's only mandatory and applicable for the mainland. That's what I heard. Uh, companies, which is... So what happens to people who are not then? Well, I believe they can look for a private insurance. Mm. It does exist even before that. It was not mandatory, but some insurance companies, they provide provide such services. Yeah. Not in the same scale in terms of compensation. Uh, they have different plans for, for uh, benefits somehow. But this one is a mandatory and it's fixed. Do you think this will eventually spread out far further and wider? Not just mainland? I really hope because it's a really good... Uh, 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 way to to give some security. Yeah, you need some, some peace of here. mind. Exactly, definitely. especially people here and the turnover of changing jobs. Yeah. Uh, 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 it happens a lot, so it gives some stability at least for two three months, is where you can look your look for something else, a replacement, mm. and find a new job. So I, I hope it will continue and it, it will go, grow bigger and bigger. Mm. Okay, Neil sent a text. He says, I've been issued my notice by my landlord. It's 12 months. Uh, it's 12 months is up in September. So he's coming up to 12 months this September. My rent contract renews in May. If I choose not to renew and move now instead of September, can the landlord now rent the property to a new tenant? Uh, no. The landlord cannot just rent it uh, uh, while the current tenant is still existing. First of all, he needs to vacate the property and this can only happen either by uh, uh, amicable agreement between both parties or the landlord has to go to the rent dispute center Mm. and initiate a claim for eviction Mm. based on the uh, legal notice that he has served to the tenant, which is a 12-month period Right. um, A message from James. He says, I've been working with my company for over 11 years, uh, but my direct superior recently informed me that my contract will not be renewed for the 2023-2024 school year. So I'm assuming obviously they work at a school, whether it's a teacher, I've not, there's no uh, information here. Says, I'll only be serving the school until the end of the current school year, which is 2022 to 23 at the end. My visa is set to expire in January 2024. Do I need to submit a resignation letter? And what will happen to my gratuity? Well, the gratuity is entitled for it. Okay. Despite anything. Gratuity is protected by the law here and the UAE uh, uh, labor law is actually, I've seen it. And based on my experience, it's one of the best labor law being implemented mm. in the region. So uh, he's entitled for his graduates, that's 200%. And he does not need to submit any resignation. Because if they agree, the employer and the employee together, yeah. that the, to end uh, the, the, ten- uh, sorry, the, the employment agreement at its, at its uh, expiry date, mm. then there is no need for resignation. Okay, great. Uh, no name on this one. Um, I've been living in an apartment in Dubai for the last few years and a few months ago my contract expired and I asked the landlord to renew it. I was told by the building management 
that he's not paid his service charges for the last few months, the landlord. And he's been blocked on the DLD system and cannot renew till he clears his dues. So I continued to pay rent as per the old contract without any arrears. He kept promising that he would clear his dues with the building management, but has not done this. Recently, he told me that he's going to sell the property and I should vacate the premises within two months. He didn't give me a proper one year notice. So what are my options and am I required to leave within two months as the owner's wishes? Well, this this question has two parts. Mm. First part is regarding the, the services that the landlord has to pay to unblock uh, his property from the uh, uh, land department. But how has a landlord got away not paying this for a few months? This is between the landlord and the regulatory, the land department and uh-huh. the, the building management. Okay. This is a tenant has nothing to do with it. Hmm. Uh, however, if, it, if, if, if such an action uh, affects the tenant to um, use the property, then he may complain and file a case against the landlord. Oh, for the loss of, of benefit from the property. Yeah. If it doesn't, uh, then he may stay as long as he wants. And with regards to the eviction notice for mm. two months only, this is not valid. To vacate the property, uh, the landlord has to serve the tenant with 12 months notice period yeah. that they need to vacate and for specific reasons. It cannot just be just leave the property. I see. There has to be a... Spe- oh, that's interesting. Exactly. So <clears throat> one of the my, more, most uh, common reasons right now is the landlord saying, I'm selling the property. We've had that. Yeah. yeah. So basically, that's he's selling the property. So he give you a notice for 12 months period yeah. that you may remain in the uh, property until the end of this notice period. Once this lapse, you either leave or if, or you, if you didn't vacate, then he has a right to approach the rent dispute center to vacate the property. Mm. Okay. Well, more texts coming in. And if you want to ask Shabab anything as well, just text us on 4001. He's here at least for another half an hour. I have Shahab Mandu at the moment with us, uh, Mandu. He's with us uh, talking and answering all your legal questions. We're getting loads coming in now, so thank you so much. Uh, let's start with a few now uh, from James. I've received a legal notice from the court that my landlord wants to sell the property and I have 12 months to vacate. Now, if I find out after leaving that the landlord has re-rented uh, the apartment, what compensation can I receive and what evidence will I need to prove that my landlord has rented out the property again? Thank you for that, James. What do you say? Well, the, the, it's a very valid question because I believe it's been happening a lot. Mm. Um, but the main point here is to prove it. Prove it would be a difficult situation because uh, I believe one of the main reasons or the main ways to prove it is to bring the new tenant to say, yes, I am a tenant here and did not purchase the property. However, if the uh, if James managed to uh, prove that, he will be eligible for compensation for the difference of the rent in case, let's say, he's paying 60 per yeah, year. Yeah. And then he rented out the new property by 90. So there is a 30,000 dirham difference in here. So he can claim that as well as he may claim as well all the moving expenses or whatever expenses that he has spent. Mm. So he can claim that from the landlord. But the, the trigger in here is, as I said, is proving that. Okay. 
Um, we do have a caller on the line. Let's see, it's uh, from Karina. Karina, are you there? Can you hear us? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Thank you for your call, my love. What would you like to ask our lawyer today? Um, actually, I would wanted to know. My husband uh, was working in a company for almost 44 years and he retired in 2018 and the company refused to give him his gratuity saying that the company has no money. This went to the court and it's been four years that... Uh, the court is just saying, giving us this response where the uh, company says he doesn't have, they don't have money, but we know the company is running, we know they have the money, but uh, is there a chance for us to get the money back? So her husband's been working for them for 44 years. Yes. And four years they've um, been fighting for this. So what? thank yes. you so much, Karina. Thank you so much. What do you recommend? Well, it's, uh, first of all, it's like it's a been long litigation battle. But the main thing here, once after the litigation, you need to proceed with filing an enforcement or execute the judgment mm. uh, that you have received in, in your favor before the court. And this is the, the, the main thing for any litigation. Uh, to secure the money or to recover the money that been awarded to them, yeah. they need to locate assets. They need to uh, freeze the bank accounts of the company. Uh, oh, they, wow. Yeah, they need to block the trade license and maybe impose a travel ban and imprisonment on the manager of the company if it's an LLC company. So uh, LLC means a limited liability company. So what they need to do now is just they need to enforce the judgment, file an execution before the court, the concerned court, and Mm. then start submit uh, requests before the court to impose such uh, restrictions on the company to push them uh, to, to pay back the money which is owed to them by the judgment. This is the only way. And, it's, and we've seen that a lot. I'll, I'll just elaborate a little bit here. We, we've seen that a lot in the, in the UAE because a lot of companies like just close down and vanish. Yeah. And they don't have any assets. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have uh, movables or immovables where the, the claimant can enforce the judgment mm-hmm. against. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the main thing here is is depends on luck sometimes and and. If it didn't it's such work, a battle, though, isn't it? This? I know, I know. It's it's really bad because this should be secured somehow, yeah. uh, especially for a long term relationship, uh, a professional relationship like forty four years. That's mm, that's decade dedication. Yes. Yeah, Karina, thank you so much uh, for your call there. Oh, they're coming in fast. Okay, here we go. Rosanna says, um, what notice period do we have to give our tenant confirming we will not be renewing the lease? In the tenancy agreement, it states three months. Well, as as the law says, it's 12 months period. Whether it's mentioned in the contract, uh, three months, five months, six months, this will not be applicable uh, as long as it's uh, not compatible with the law. And the regulation. So you're saying in the contract says three months, but it has to be 12 months? It has to be th- uh, 12 so months. So why would it say three months in the contract? So it's the, uh, the, Because contract mainly has been drafted according to the parties' uh, uh-huh. uh, agreement. So, But the law says 12 months for, vic- uh, uh, for to vacate any property. Interesting. Okay, um, we have another one. No name. What is the UAE law regarding holding gratuity against owed personal loan? And if I get an offer letter or own a side business, LLC business, can that release my gratuity as long as I commit to the monthly installments? 
Well, this is um, has to be agreed amicably between the employer and the employee mm. because uh, the employer has a right to deduct uh, or to hold the gratuity until the, the loan is paid in full. Okay. But not to hold it all. They can hold, like, let's say, whatever is owed by the, the employee to the employer can be deducted and the rest can be released and paid to the employee. Okay, I hope that helps you guys. Um, Good afternoon. I bought an off-plan property with 50% down payment in 2017, which was planned to be delivered in 2019. The unit still hasn't been handed over. Can I file a claim for compensation? Well, you can file a claim for compensation or termination of the contract and return or uh, or get full refund of what has been paid. Mm. And uh, But it all depends on the terms and the condition of the contract. So basically, uh, some contracts, sell and purchase agreements, developers give the, their themselves the right to extend the completion date for yeah. one year or two years without noticing uh, or notifying uh, the investors so we need to like he they need to check the contract the terms and the condition especially in that part and as well as to check what in which status is the project like have they paid more than the uh, accomplishment of building the project or less to be able to decide or or to check whether they can terminate the contract or not so far in general this is a breach of contract because the property has to be delivered in yeah. 2019 but as I said, uh, just to give a proper answer, the, the contract has to be uh, uh, reviewed in the terms and the conditions, especially. Mm, okay. But in general, there is a breach. Yeah, there definitely is. It's been a long time coming. Uh, some time ago, I took an advance on my gratuity and my employer had me sign a letter waiving my right to the balance of my gratuity. I signed because I was desperate at the time. Does, does this gratuity waiver hold up? No name. Well... Gratuity, if it's unfair, uh, unfairly paid, the employee always has a right to go to the court and mm. seek for the remaining amount, which should be paid. Um, however, it depends as well on the waiver that the employee has signed, whether it's drafted properly where the court will, will hold it up and say, this has been agreed as a settlement, therefore the employee is not entitled to get the rest, or decide otherwise and provide the employee with the remaining uh, uh, amount needs to be paid as okay. a gratuity. Um, another text from Salim. He says, so 90 days before my apartment renewal, my landlord offered me a new lease with a 10% increase on my current rental. I challenged this by sharing the rear retail index result, which stated there is no increase in the rental value. Now, the landlord decided at this point to do a DLD rental valuation. And last Friday, 49 days before my current lease expires, he shared the valuation, which showed an increase of 21% on the rent. Or looking at it another way, my current rent is 17.5% less than the current valuation. Can the landlord do that? And what is he legally allowed to increase my rent by in this scenario? Well, as as he said, that the the the, um, the measurement in here for any increase is the calculator of rear, which available for everyone. They can check that online. Okay. But uh, the evaluation that the landlord has done will give him heads up for increasing the property more. 
but it's still subject because there is a dispute here. If both did not agree, then it will definitely go to the brain dispute center. Yeah. And uh, it depends on the, the, the judge how they will see it. Either provide the, uh, the landlord the right to increase this 21%. The right to increase this 21%. Either that or uh, they will decide that there is no increase according to the calculator. That's What's the provided. maximum you can increase your rent? It depends. It depends what is how the percentage of the rent that the current rent that the that we are paying or mm. people are paying in here. So if the rent is less than forty percent, then the average rent in the area or in the building or uh, 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 where, where where is the apartment or the villa exists, then it can be increased up to 20%. So it changes, I'm, I'm assuming, according to supply and demand. Exactly. It's pro rata to the uh, how much the amount, the rent has been devaluated or been reduced during COVID time. I see. Yeah, I know. It's all it's all going up, isn't it? I know. It's 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 uh, it's Scary. increasing really massively. I know. I think people taking advantage of it too as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, we had COVID. We went down. Now we're going back up. Now we're going up. Up the double even. Oh, it's, yeah. it's mad. Okay. Uh, ben says, are non-compete clauses enforceable in Dubai? Uh, current contract and company is in DIFC um, this would be an, would this be undue restriction on ability to work do you understand that because I actually didn't <laughs> it's yeah but it depends if, if he's moving from DIFC to DIFC entity yeah then the regulation of the non-compete non-competition uh, uh, terms for the DIFC mm. will be applied because DIFC has its own rules uh, however if he's moving from a mainland to DIFC mm. and there might be some uh, uh, interaction or a competition to be existing. So, yes, it does exist. The new law of the new labor law, which has been issued in 2022 and been applicable since then, um, is is more uh, clear about the non-compete clauses. Okay, we have David on the line who has an issue with a villa that is bought off plan. David, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for your call. What would you like to ask Shiab? I would like to know who would be the best or which entity would be the best uh, to approach about this. The developer is a well-known developer in Dubai. They are wiping their hands of it. They're telling me to go directly to the contractor who is concerned with this uh, application of the roof waterproofing. Um, the waterproofing is leaked since I saw the villa and it was handed over in 2019. The contractor I've approached several times and they're also ignoring I've approached DED uh, for consumer affairs. I'm not really sure on who I should uh, approach. I'd, and I do have a copy of a 25-year warranty. Yeah, this should be something I can do, but I'm just at a loss on who to approach. Thanks, David. Thanks, David, for this question. And um, your situation is, it could be very easy. Uh, what you can do is basically um, uh, initiate a claim against both of them, the main developer and the contractor. And uh, the court at that time will appoint an expert uh, to uh, examine all the, uh, the property and uh, uh, identify all the defaults that you have and the issues that you are facing. And based on that, will oblige them either to fix it or to compensate you for fixing it. And the expert may put a price for how much this would cost you to bring it as it should be. And then you can claim that from them. But uh, if it's not settled amicably with them, then the, on, the, the only option for you is to proceed legally. 
Okay, I hope that helps you, David. Um, Farah says, I've been working at a company. I have eight months left to complete my two-year contract. Last week, I was given a termination letter without any explanation. I refuse to sign it because I need clarification. What can I do here? Well, receiving a termination letter Mm. during the, the existence of the employment contract, it could be considered as unlawful termination which is arbitrary dismissal. That's that's what I think it is, yeah. Yeah, but um, uh, depending on that, whether to accept it or not, uh, if he has been terminated, then he's terminated. The only thing that he can do is to approach the Labour Department and claim for compensation for that. Okay. And... Yeah, go go ahead, And depending on on his contract as well, whether it's limited or unlimited, the new law, which came into uh, uh, force... 2022, uh, all the employment contracts has to be uh, limited. The old law has two types of employment contract, unlimited and limited. So for the limited ones, there must be a reason for termination. For the unlimited, any of the parties can terminate, providing uh, the other party one month's notice or the notice period uh, agreed on in the contract. Okay. Um, Haytham, Haytham's driving, he's trying to call us, but uh, I'm going to read it out for you. He says, our landlord served us an eviction notice in May 2022 to move out in May 2023. Our lease expires in February this year. So we're negotiating the new lease from February to May 2023. He's trying to increase our rent in line with the RERA index. However, he only gave us a 60 days notice and is claiming the eviction notice he served eight months ago should enable him to increase our rent without a 90-day notice. Is that correct? This is very debatable because um, the, 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 the right to increase the rent still exists for the okay. landlord. However, he has already served a 12-month notice period to, for, to vacate the property. Then mm. the tenant has the right to say to pay or continue paying the remaining rent of the prorata period that he's, they are staying in uh, according to the current rent that they are paying. Yeah, That's uh, what I believe. Okay, thank you for that, Haytham, and I hope it's uh, answered a few questions there for you. Um, Lena says, my employer terminated me without notice. She's asking for a refund of the visa expenses. Do I need to pay them as they are the ones who broke the contract? Well, it depends what is the status of your employment. If it's in the probation period, the first six months, uh, then they may claim it if you terminate the contract if, or if the employee terminate the contract. But if the employer terminate the contract, then they, they are not entitled to claim such things. Okay. Um, and then this is our last text now. And this, this is quite concerning, actually. Uh, there's no name on here. It says, my company is indulging in bad practice, which I think I need to report to the authorities. We're involved in the sale of M- FMCG, which is food and no food items. When the products expire... We remove them for management. But to my surprise, I found out that the management sends these expired products to the houses and gets the dates of the items changed. Secondly, they deliberately hire people on visit visas. They use them and when the visa expires, they release and dismiss them. And this has been going on for a while now and I just find the whole thing very disturbing. Finally doesn't end there. The workers here are made to work for more than 12 hours a day, six days a week without overtime pay. How do I even approach this legally? There are two ways. This is devastating to to, to listen to, to be honest. Yeah. 
and it's upsetting. But uh, there are two ways to do that, and it's very easy. There is always a police in the UAE. They are very helpful and very supportive in, in such things. And if, when when it comes to the uh, uh, labor, yeah. hiring the laborers under the, the uh, visit visas, which is illegal, um, this can be approached to, through the labor department, complain mm. to the labor department and the immigration system in the UAE. Well, mm. But for the food, that is a crime. That's oh, an actual crime, and uh, this is, should be reported to the police. Yeah, that is dangerous. Yes. Health and safety, full on. Uh, Shahab, thank you so much. We've run out of time. I uh, had loads of texts. Um, he will be back, don't worry. We'll definitely get him back in. He's, he's a very calm lawyer. Are you generally quite calm? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends it on depends. what case, case. But thank you so much. I really More appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.